0: Welcome back to the Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. And Dyson's... Well, Dyson's not here. But this is Dark Adaptation. So, um... Yeah, weird episode today. As you know, it is episode 40, which means it's Dyson's surprise episode, but, uh, he just, I mean, I don't know, looks like he ditched me today. One minute, we're hanging out in the apartment, having some drinks on the balcony, I remember this bright light, and then BAM! I wake up in my room, and it's daylight. There is no trace of him. I have no idea where that little ginger fucker went. He knows we're recording today, so, I mean, I guess you've just got me. I can't believe he... Oh. Oh my god, what is that? It's that light, it's back.
1: Hold for incoming transmission.
2: Greetings, Earthling. Do not attempt to adjust your audio. We have taken control of your listening device. We have come to return the one you call Dyson. So what are you guys
1: doing
2: later? Nothing? Cool. Our race has managed to master the complexities of intergalactic space travel. Harness raw resources from mighty supernovas to propel our craft at impossible speeds. But we cannot handle this little shit any longer.
0: Oh my god, you abducted him?
1: <laughs> Yo, nice tentacle. i got no, one just like that.
2: You must take him back. He's so... So... Annoying. Hmm. Okay. I
0: have one condition.
2: Anything. Before he starts licking the windows again.
0: Okay, well, I've got a podcast to run here. And you abducted my host when he should have been working on today's episode. So, I don't know, tell him some cool stories that he can share on the pod.
2: That is a tall order, human. Our interactions with your world remain shrouded in secrecy for reasons beyond your mortal comprehension. The fate of the...
1: So I said probe him. Damn your rectum. (laughs) Oh...
2: My God, just fucking take him. Kronos, prepare the
1: device. Device? Commencing brain sync. Yeah. Scanning for brain. Scanning. Still scanning. Brain synchronization complete. Transporting specimen. Oh, hey, Brianna.
3: What's up?
1: Boy, do I have an episode for you.
0: Well, good, because you're late.
1: I just have one question for you. Do you believe? I said, do you believe? Do you have the faith in the unseen, the unexplained, the otherworldly? I said, do you believe in aliens? Hit it! So, Brianna. Do you believe?
0: What's that sticking out of your butt?
1: (laughs) I brought this from home.
0: (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Do I believe? Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Do I need to do my preacher voice again?
0: Okay, no, you don't.
1: But you liked it, right? It
0: was so convincing. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'll say. Just a simple yes or no, then yes, I do.
1: Mm. Well, that's, that's some really good news. I, after doing this, also kind of believe Kronos would invite me to the party and meet the others, but there's at least a few of them.
0: Oh, what'd they do? Just keep you on the back because you wouldn't stop licking windows and telling them about your tentacle?
1: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> they wouldn't let me touch the buttons either.
0: But they touched your button. Huh? am I right? Sure did. That's what's sticking out right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I brought it from home. <laughs> so should I get right into this?
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, I'm. I, I obviously, we're doing some kind of alien episode, which I'm very excited about. Who gave
1: you that idea.
0: Um, there was a whole host of things that had just happened that I have yet to digest. Mm. <laughs> I'm still a little blind from that light. <laughs>
1: All right. Well. Let me just get situated. Okay, let me take you there. It's a cool spring afternoon in the heat of white... It's a cool spring afternoon in the heart of Whiteshell Provincial Park. A thin layer of clouds are rolling over the 275,000 acres of dense pine forest, stunning lakes, marshes, and rocky terrain. It was and is a picturesque landscape that lays bare the natural beauty that Northern Canada has to offer, Brianna.
0: I love Northern Canada.
1: It is real nice.
0: I haven't really been to Northern Northern Canada. Been to Northern Ontario. Mm-hmm. It's untouched and beautiful.
1: It sure is. And there is also a diversity in wildlife in the White Shell. Mm. Residents and visitors can find an assortment of bald eagles, prehistoric turtles, bears, Wolves and in the case of RCMP Constable G.A. Slotsky, on the particular evening of May 20th, 1967, he could also see a 51-year-old Polish prospector and father of three (laughs) stumbling drunkenly along the Trans-Canada Highway about a kilometer west of Falcon Beach entrance. It is, by all rights, a truly unique Canadian experience.
0: Oh, well, yeah... Just painted quite a picture for, for everyone there.
1: Hell, you could see it in Brantford if you want. It's <laughs> just a different highway.
0: A middle-aged person stumbling around drunk. Yeah. Hell yeah.
1: All right. Well, seeing this seemingly drunk man stumbling on the motorway, Constable Solotsky did what any proud Mountie to don the ceremonious bright red coat and cap would do. He cruised right on by. Oh,
0: <laughs> my God.
1: I'm only half joking. Okay. He did pass by <laughs> and he was going to ignore him, but he turned around once he noticed the man was waving frantically in his rear view mirror in a desperate attempt to flag him down.
0: Okay. Was he in a, obviously like a, a marked vehicle? Like he was- Oh
1: yeah. The- it was highway patrol. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. In Manitoba. Yeah.
0: <laughs> wow. Okay.
1: <laughs> now, I'm okay. I'm going to struggle with the names, but Constable Salatki. Uh, would learn that this man's name is Stephen Miklach, a frequent visitor of Whiteshell, who lives with his family in River Heights, roughly 150 kilometers away.
0: Well, that's far away.
1: It's, it's a good distance. Like, it, it's uh, he, To be a
0: frequent, vis- a regular visitor, that's yeah, far away.
1: Yeah. And Miklach had come to Whiteshell to spend the Victoria Day long weekend searching for quartz in the pre-Cambrian rock of the Canadian shield that runs through the park
0: Okay but like same though
1: <laughs> I know you won't <laughs> stop Picking rocks Um, But what's strange I guess About this encounter is that while Solotki believes the man To be drunk and I mean real drunk
0: Well like stumbling around
1: I like. mean stumbling around Confused, uncoordinated and puking Everywhere kind of drunk
0: well, That's pretty sloppy for a middle aged man He should know how to hold himself by now
1: He really should. But what's weird was that he was unable to detect even the slightest whiff of liquor. Uh Uh-oh. Now, I'm probably not doing things justice, so let me toss in a few extra details to really set the scene for you. These are important, so listen up. Okay. Okay. His eyes were strained and bloodshot. He was acting irrationally. Each time the constable approached the man, he would back away, warning the constable to keep his distance, fearing he could be irradiated.
3: Oh, God.
0: His
1: hat was scorched, and so was his chest, which Constable Solotki said looked as though he were rubbing ash into his skin. He also held a briefcase, which, uh, which uh, Miklack said contained his equally scorched shirt. And yet, despite his story of finding his way back from the forest on a prospecting excursion, he had no prospecting equipment on his person.
0: Uh, I mean, this is so fascinating. But if I was that RCMP officer, I would be a little bit scared.
1: Yeah, he, he, you, you would think uh, this guy's... um, I mean,
0: Something's wrong. He's really, a few, really
1: few uh, fries short of a Happy Meal. Yeah.
0: yeah, there's a whole part of the Happy Meal missing.
1: But the man insisted he was completely sober. Not only that, he proceeded to recount a tale so out of the ordinary, so far-fetched, so wholly impossible, that you can for- forgive Constable Solotki for simply dismissing the man, saying he has other duties, and abruptly leaving him stumbling on the roadside.
0: He left him. He left him like that. Yes. Okay, well, I don't know. This okay. Yes and he no. You should not have left him.
1: Yes and no. Oh, okay. Okay, maybe um, forgive is the wrong word here. Um, that was Micklack's account.
0: Oh, man.
1: Salodkey's so side of the story is oh, he no. offered Micklack a ride into Falcon Beach for medical assistance, but Micklack said he's fine and carried on his way.
0: Oh, I think the truth is somewhere in between the two.
1: I don't. because well,
0: he wouldn't even let him get close to him because he said he could be irradiated. So why would he get in the car with him?
1: Because he's irradiated and dying. So like, here, here's my thought. Like, why would a man in such distress that he tries to flag the car oh. down while traversing on a highway then turn around and refuse help in any, in any way? That's true. Uh, and why would a constable leave a man he suspected of being impaired to walk along the highway?
0: Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that makes
1: so, more sense. I resu- that
0: he's the one who flagged him down, which means he want, wanted help.
1: Yeah, so resolutely, um, the answer to those questions, I would say, is uh, no clue, but it doesn't matter. Um, either way, Constable Solotki's police report is the important piece that's piecing together the story of what took place on May 20th, 1967. Okay. Whether the constable indeed helped the man or not, it confirms that something incredibly weird happened to MickLack that afternoon. Mm-hmm. And the whole world was about to hear about it. And so
0: are you, dear listener.
1: Hell yeah, you are. You see, MickLack is by and large seen as a trustworthy and honest man. Definitely not your stereotypical conspiracy crazed nut job so often depicted in these types of stories.
0: Is that sarcasm or is he actually like legit? I'm
1: being 100% serious. Okay. Yeah. Uh, rather, Micklak was a quiet family man, a former military policeman before moving to Canada, and fought in the Polish home army in resistance operations against the Nazis. With one child and another on the way, he and his wife fled to Canada in 1949. He did that um, that gap, if you're really, really astute. That gap, right, between fighting in Poland in the resistance and then fleeing. He, um, he was still in Poland, but then you know they lost yeah. and they wanted that he was kind of like in charge of like kind of combating communism at a certain point mm-hmm. and he went i'm mm-hmm. fuck it out of here um so you know he's in that area just so you know like poland's near germany it's also like near russia more or less i'm saying near but you know we're talking in I know. quite a big distance um but you know that's also important to know the world war ii kind of era he's in it he's in the fight he's between those countries in the close proximity so he was instilled with a set of moral principles and by all accounts was seen as a trustworthy man with no interest in being in the limelight his only fixation it seemed was on his rocks
0: Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah i mean he's traveling 150 kilometers regularly yeah to go out there and prospect, this so. this guy
1: fucking wanted it. like yeah. this is what he does. yeah, yeah. he just wanted to work, spend time with his family, and maybe sneak away into nature on his time off. But his time in the military also compelled him to report what he had seen out of concern. Simply put, he just wanted someone to tell him what he saw. Oh God. And those who knew him held McClack in the same high regard. So when McClack's family reached his, or de- er, so when McClack finally reached his destination of the Falcon Motel where he was staying, people took note of his odd behavior, his stumbling, uncharacteristically drunk behavior. They also took note of the same thing Constable Salatki had written in his report. Absolutely no smell of alcohol whatsoever.
0: Did he regularly stay at this motel when he would go up there?
1: Yes, he he would. So
0: they were familiar with him?
1: Yeah, this was his like... So
0: they were like, what the fuck is wrong with Steve?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or they were probably more along the lines of, Jesus Christ, here comes Steve. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Miklach again asked for help when he got to the motel this time with the motel owner, but unfortunately there was no doctor available. So Miklach rested, called his wife to inform her that there had been an accident, and the next day he took the Greyhound bus back to town. From there, his son would take him to the hospital where he was promptly admitted to the emergency room.
0: Oh, okay. So it's not in good condition.
1: (laughs) Absolutely not not at all and also the amount of time that just took place to sleep off and then he estimates like there was a a roughly like nine hours gap at least um he was still brought right into the emergency room doctors were really worried
0: was he complaining of anything specific or just that he was radiated
1: yeah so he's got a bunch of stuff that i'll i'll get into Mm -hmm. but um He kind of has the entire situation going on of one who would have radiation poisoning.
0: Oh my god, that's fucking weird.
1: Absolutely.
0: The throwing up, for sure.
1: I hate being nauseous so much. It's my nightmare. So, um, that leaves us with one prevailing question. (laughs) Uh, What the flying fuck happened to Steve McClack?
0: That is my question. What did he see out there and what's, what's wrong? Is, is it like some kind of creepy symptoms that are mirroring radiation poisoning or is he legitimately poisoned? Mm -hmm. And yeah, what happened to him out there In in an area that he obviously knows? He goes regularly Everyone that he's interacted with other than the cop is familiar with him and are like, oh, my God, he is acting so weird. Mm -hmm. He's he's obviously concerned because he's calling his wife and saying that there's been an accident and his son has to take him to the hospital. And they immediately put him into like urgent care. It sounds like. Yeah. And I want to know what the fuck happened to Steve.
1: (laughs) Well, I guess we'll have to find out.
0: Okay, tune in now. I'm just
3: kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, it's the first music interlude. <laughs> so, Miklag did have one personal flaw. Okay. He was an early riser. He oh! It's just so he began that fateful day at five thirty a.m., Ooh, which is REM sleep for me. Yeah, it's well, <laughs> well, listener. If I'm being perfectly honest with you, it's just nauseating. <laughs> and on top of thing, uh, to top things off, he chatted some poor guy's ear off in the cafe, talking about prospecting before crossing the road and heading into the bush. So we're talking before 6 a.m., you're just getting set up at the cafe, and some guy just starts ripping your hair off about fucking rocks.
0: I mean, I respect that he has his passion, he loves it, but I, at that time in the morning and a stranger, I would be incredibly annoyed. I would probably be like, can you not... <laughs> Yeah, can you can't find literally anyone else? Oh wait, it's just us because we're the only freaks who get up this early.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, just fucking. I don't know. Go to the mirror.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Respects what he's doing out there, and it's fun for him. But that's too early. Also, get the net, Steve. You can tell yeah. when someone doesn't want you to talk to them.
1: Yeah, honestly, is I don't know. Like, there's no, there's no, um, there's nothing in there in, in the research that I did saying that this guy was really pissed about that. <clears throat> it's
0: just annoying. But
1: I'm a human being. And uh <laughs> I could read between the lines sometimes and know that if someone's talking to you that early about fucking rocks and you're not a prospector, then you know what? Take a hike. They're like, "What
0: the fuck? Go is pound
1: sand." Go
0: pound sand, yeah. Yeah. Kick rocks.
1: Yeah, go kick rocks. <laughs> now, um what's a little crazy is there was no trails at this time in 67, like now apparently, yes, there's tons of trails that you can kind of go through. And also manitoba provincial parks are dense like a motherfucker so um anyone familiar with that will basically attest to just how ridiculous it is to just kind of wander into it but his only guide venturing into the wilderness uh would be a vein of quartz which he would follow along getting deeper and deeper into the region so he would look down this is kind of his process look down find you know, a strain of something along the rock face and he would just follow that and, you know, stop whenever he thought an area was interesting and chisel away. And like I said, he was going out there for specific minerals.
0: Is a mineral?
1: Uh, minerals. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's what he would do. And um, once he felt it was time to come back, he did have a map, um, but he would also just check his compass and just kind of, Oh, that's the direction? Okay, I'm just going to head off. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's ballsy. <laughs> um, yeah, I
0: was like, I know, like, one in east, so I leave west.
1: Yeah, but uh, <laughs> as an amateur geologist, Miklach has done this countless times. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I would still... It uh, sounds like a Blair Witch situation. It
3: really I gave you back the map! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: You can do a I of kick that thing into the river, into the <laughs> to the creek, the creek.
0: Just spoils a spoil horror thing where Leo won't let go of the map. And <laughs> Stephen's like,
3: oh, <laughs> I don't want to "Talk about the map!"
1: <laughs> oh my god! All right. So this time, McClack made his way northbound. Mm. Um, so he literally just crosses the highway. And uh, he's on his way. He's so off. He's like
0: Homer Simpson disappearing into the edge. He
1: really is. He's
0: just like, all right, going to the dense Manitoba fucking wilderness.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to wander into the middle of butt fuck nowhere.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. that's brave.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. So he finds a vein of quartz and he follows it until he comes across an unusually large plateau, you know, of um exposed rock situated between... A, they call this a peninsula, and I was like, "Do I use that word?" Yeah. But yeah, so is there water? Yeah. yeah so then,
0: yeah, it's a peninsula. He,
1: but he's kind of looking d- down, so this is yeah. elevated. So you look down, and you can see a lake on one side, and you can see marsh on the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, he's wandering around. He has a light lunch. He finds this place. He starts chiseling away, and then suddenly, McLack is disturbed by his work by some. Nearby geese that had erupted into a clattering of honks and flapping, um, and he knew right away something had it it's had them it. in disarray.
0: Yeah, something disturbed them.
1: Yeah, and uh, well, that as- would
0: give you a start.
1: Oh, I know they're so abrupt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right
0: in his fucking grill as he's enjoying his light lunch.
1: <laughs> yep, yep. So this is it's around twelve fifteen, by the way. Okay. Um, sorry if I repeat myself, but hey. So, um, so as MickLack Mick looks down at the, pound, uh, the pond below, something else catches his eye. Looking up at the tree line, he sees two strange objects with a reddish glow and hovering about 45 meters away. This is MickLack recounting what he saw with NBC's Unsolved Mysteries in 1992. And um, as much as we make fun of MickLack, I think you'll find him quite lovable.
2: Looking on the tree I notice a two cigarette like shape things with the hump in the middle. I said what the hell is that?
0: (laughs) 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 I said what the hell is that?
1: I love don't you love him?
0: I do because he actually reminds me of somebody who I adore and he's so sweet. Yeah, and um, yeah. <laughs> I said,
3: how does that?
1: <laughs> so, um, while one of the crafts remains in the air, the other starts descending from the sky and begins taking on a more disc-like shape. So
0: instead of a cigarette,
1: instead of a cigar, yeah. Mm. Um, so it's kind of morphing a little bit and uh, it lands not far from where Lack is standing on that flat section of rock that I mentioned. Now, it's important to note here that uh, Stefan's not much of a believer in extraterrestrial. Oh. Um, little green men and close encounters of the third kind are not something he's considered with much seriousness, so you'll forgive him for being a bit brazen while this goes down. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, rather, Miklach's first assumption is that these absurd-looking crafts are some sort of classified military aircraft or even NASA experimenting, ex- uh, an, a NASA experiment being tested in a remote wilderness of Manitoba. Mm-hmm. And save for Miklach, away from prying eyes of the general public. Mm-hmm. Remember also that this is 1967 and is in the middle of the Cold War. Oh, I
3: was going to say that.
1: Where U.S. technology advancements were another leg up against the Russians. So it was very important for them to keep adapting and improving no matter what. And it's not that strange to think that these crafts, U.S. or Russian, would be flying around in the Great White North.
0: How north is this in Manitoba?
1: It's, it's really not that north. Um,
0: north. Yeah. For north America.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I guess if someone were to speculate like, okay, well, you fucking fly them anywhere. And if you're going to try and fly it in Canada in the middle of nowhere, wouldn't you fly it like in the like, like for sure middle of nowhere, like absolutely no towns for miles and miles, and miles, no. which you can do. But um at the I, end of
0: the day, it's people who are doing this experimentation. They still mm-hmm. need amenities.
1: Yeah, I was talking more like the, the Russian <laughs> idea. Oh, okay. Because like, you know, some people have kind of thought about that, going like, well, if Russia were to do it, Russia wouldn't go anywhere near civilization. But like, yeah, they might have. Like we had um we had like a system, like a radar system in place up north because in during the cold war the theory would be that if a nuclear uh, warhead were to come towards north america like it was gonna go bomb washington dc or something mm-hmm. um, we had a radar system running all along the very top of our country to be able to identify it because that's the fastest route that russia would launch it
0: Yeah, come over top and yeah across so
1: if um some sort of craft that they developed and they wanted to test it out to be like is it that good is it good enough to get past the canadians is it good (laughs) enough to get past the canadians and their their mighty military (laughs) lord yeah well it would make sense right so you know they would they would constantly push the boundaries and see how far they can get yeah so you know uh that's me going to anyone who says it's no way it would be russian they would do it another way no they wouldn't
0: yeah also you don't know
1: yeah you have no idea shut up you have no clue we're talking about spaceship shit okay like shit's morphing from discs to cigars and cigars to discs and you know what
0: the hell is that what the hell is that (laughs) (laughs) oh i forgot i already had forgotten that you said he was polish yeah i was like oh
1: yeah straight from poland Mm -hmm, yeah for
0: real yeah. Also, you did mention in the beginning that he told the story more to f- so that someone could give him answers. He still sounds, at least based on what we know so far in the story, um, seems like he wants answers for real as to what it was, and it has to be like of Earth. <laughs> Cause,
1: yeah, he's he's because he
0: didn't he like you said he's not like a believer. Yeah,
1: he's really agnostic, and I think the funny thing I was doing when I was doing a lot of this research, um, about all all of these like encounters is a lot of the ones who are either experiencing these things or you know like reporting it right yeah, yeah. and or people who are uh researching it to like kind of catalog things mm-hmm. um <clears throat> they're they're all kind of agnostic
3: yeah
1: they 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 will they all all of them basically have have said um well like i'm open to the idea but as of right now, there's no evidence saying it is alien. So I'm not going to say it's aliens. I don't mm-hmm. even know what it is. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it could be completely uh, terrestrial or it could be extraterrestrial. I don't know. And if you put a gun to my head, it'd be unfair and I could pick either one. I have no idea.
0: Uh, these are the most compelling ones to hear about, though, in my opinion.
1: I agree. So, yeah.
0: Anyway, look, I'm, I I want to know what the hell is that?
1: What the hell is that? <laughs> um. So, Okay. Here's what the hell this is. One of the odd things that McLack notices as the craft is sitting there. The ship has no seams at all. Not one. With man-made machines, you would expect to see panels, rivets, weld marks, for example, that would hold the ship together. But this reddish metal craft that McLack says resembled a piece of glowing reddish glass was completely smooth. It was as though the metal saucer with a dome on top, had some had been milled from a single block of solid metal. Wow! So either like a just incredibly impossible mechanical feat, or um, in Mick Laxford, what the hell is that?
0: I mean, it's it adds up. If it was morphing shape, it couldn't possibly have a just a permanent figure mm-hmm. with weld marks and all that because it's going to have to morph shape.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Um so while this thing's la- landed and Miklag's kind of just staring at it. Yeah. yeah. Um the second craft is hovering oh, above God, the I forgot trees. Oh there was
0: two already. Yeah,
1: watching the scene for a few minutes until whoosh, takes off. Oh no. Or I guess it didn't take off, it just fucked off.
0: It was, you know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it just went, "Well, about time for me to head out." <laughs> and uh yeah, so, God bless this man. Mick Lack began sketching what he saw into his notebook. And he, when I say sketching, I'm not doing it justice. He's marking the shape, its dimensions, almost like an engineer would do. Mm. Um, when suddenly the door at the top of the craft slowly opens.
0: No, thank you. What oh, it's going to be chills. I'm creeped out.
1: The light is absolutely blinding oh. from inside. Uh, came what McClack recalls as muffled voices. Oh. Yeah, indistinguish- indistinguishable to him, but he could hear some, like, two talking, and uh, he said that one was talking and the other had a higher-pitched voice, mm. but it was kind of muffled. And it um,
0: obviously was, like, speaking, but it's, like, you don't know, some weird language or something. Just muffled?
1: Yeah, like, you just can't make it out. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, and he said they, they sounded like human uh, and uh, they were kind of muffled also by the motor. Mm. Mm-hmm. But he could definitely, he said he definitely heard two distinct voices. Um, now, as I mentioned, Micklack is a stand-up guy and also an industrial mechanic. Um, if there's oh. anyone you want around when your intergalactic spacecraft breaks down, <laughs> it's him. And uh, so he calls out to the voices, assuming um, that they belong to a crew operating some experimental U.S. military aircraft. That's his first assumption. Right. So he starts walking closer to the door and calls out, what, Yankee? Problems? (laughs) (laughs) If you are Yankee, boys, you come out and don't be afraid. I don't sell your secrets for a lousy green buck. If you need help, just come out.
0: Is that really what he said?
1: That is a quote.
0: I appreciate your terrible Polish accent.
1: Yeah, it morphed (laughs) into like Quebec, didn't it?
0: It was yeah, a little bit French Canadian.
1: It was my (laughs) cretin.
0: I love that Yankee. Oh yeah, Yankee boy. But so, oh okay, never mind. He came from Poland. For some reason, in my head, I was like, he did he move from America to canada or did he come from poland right to canada but obviously he came right to
1: canada yeah he came right to canada went to regina first and then went over to manitoba okay uh or into uh winnipeg sorry um so when he calls out the voices stop
0: Mm. (laughs) like that fucker just called me a yankee
1: yeah so um he tries again uh this time in russian
0: he can speak russian
1: Yeah, he could speak a little bit of Russian because, uh, remember he was, uh, taking on the communist push there. Russian
0: is so hard to learn.
1: Yeah, I don't... It must have been very rudimentary. Mm. Um, so, uh, nothing. (laughs) Of course. And all the while, he keeps walking, getting closer to the door until he's right up against it. Um, he did try again, this time in Polish, and I think that's just because he's like, fuck it, why not? I'm Polish, I'm gonna yell in Polish. Um... So one thing I didn't mention is when, cause he's an industrial mechanic and also this geologist, like geologists need like equipment to protect the chiseling rock from hitting their face, scuffing up your hands and all that kind of stuff with the jagged rocks. Oh, that you're yeah. around I with. was
0: actually going to ask you cause you said he had a briefcase. I wanted to know
1: yeah, so what he, kind
0: of equipment he had.
1: Yeah. So he, you know, he had the, you know, chisel and stuff, but in main ones he had was a welder's mask to protect mm-hmm. his face. So, tinted visor. And uh, he had his welding gloves. Okay. So, um...
0: Sorry, I'm just imagining someone with welding gloves and a, and a welding visor out in the fucking dense forest, and you just ca- come upon that.
1: Is is very upsetting. Yeah. But he is... He, he's
0: like, I swear, I'm just looking for rocks, and you're like, He's a balding
1: 51-year-old Polish man with a welding mask and gloves. I don't, gloves. Care. I don't yeah. care. It's
0: a creepy scene.
1: <laughs> so, he dons his welding mask, um, which... Like I said, he's using it for excursions, and then he sticks his head right into the open port.
0: Okay, that's too far, Steve.
1: <laughs> yeah, abs- even if it's human, how do you know they're not going to shoot you? <sighs> you can't board the craft that's, like, actually, like, grounds to get shot. <laughs>
3: he
0: doesn't even, like, give a little leer, you know, like, eh? What's no. What's going on? He's like, no. He's like,
1: Yeah, just right in there. <laughs> just sticks his head in. God damn it, bless this man. But uh, inside... He sees a maze of blinding lights and panels flashing various colors. Mm. But you know what he doesn't see?
0: The two people.
1: Exactly. No pilots at all.
0: They went and hid from him because he was creepy. <laughs>
1: yeah. He's creeping up <laughs> on him. <laughs> it's also really embarrassing, isn't it? It is. The- <laughs> Fuck we crashed in Manitoba. <laughs> on a like overcast day. On a plateau. Yeah, on a little plateau. Um, <laughs> so he didn't see anyone, and he pulls his head back, and that's when three panels slide out and close the door shut. So uh, McClack reaches out to touch the surface of the ship, and the exterior of the ship was so hot that it began to melt away the fingertips of his protective gloves.
3: Whoa!
1: Yeah, real fucking hot. Made me wonder, like, okay, maybe this uh craft is. A glowing red because it's so fucking yeah, hot
0: it's red hot
1: yeah so um micklack says the craft then rotated counterclockwise revealing two re- rectangular exhaust ports and like his sketches are so helpful by the way like they are we'll
0: have to post them
1: yeah um he people were amazed by how detailed like he got of the scene of mm-hmm. the craft But, uh, and I should mention that this rock was uh, on a gentle slope leftwards. Um, So this craft turns, reveals the exhaust ports, each with a grid of holes about a quarter inch in diameter and one inch apart. So just imagine uh, two vertical rectangles side by side. And just, um, if you've ever gotten the allergy tests, it looks like that. Almost exactly like that.
3: It it
0: looks like like a drain cover. Yeah. -hmm. Okay.
1: Yep. And uh, that's when the craft tilted slightly left. And then Miklack was blown back by a strong gust of noxious gas, setting his shirt and undershirt ablaze. And the ship took off into the sky.
0: Whoa. That was rude. They were like, "Mm -hmm." You just say thank you. They just like deliberately turned it so that those exhausts would point at him.
1: Yeah. I think that would be the way of getting rid of him. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So it took off. How, how big would you say this ship was?
1: Oh fuck! I should have had the diagram in front of me. It was, you know, it was larger than he was for sure. Was it? Like but a, it wasn't like, like a, a mothership. It was like, you know, a a convertible version of a spaceship. <laughs> you know, like a like, like a, a little vehicle? sedan of a okay. of a spaceship. Yeah.
0: All right. So those two things, people, aliens, whatever they were, couldn't have been hiding. So like,
1: well, like maybe there's like a little hatch at the bottom. I I don't know. Yeah, like it took yeah. off, and you're like, like well, the the, the rock was things? um a hundred foot by three hundred foot, so that's large enough, but it didn't take up the whole rock.
3: It's yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Music too. at the hospital, doctors were amazed, to say the least. Mm. Uh, The scorch on his chest and stomach have formed into raised grid-like patterns <gasps> mirroring perfectly the exhaust panels in his detailed sketch on the craft.
0: Oh my god.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: look at me goosebumps.
1: Yeah, and you asked earlier, like, you know, how fucked up was he? What was he going through? Well, here's what this poor man was, uh, what he was going through. He suffered from prolonged bla- bouts of blackouts, diarrhea, and headaches. He also was rapidly losing weight. Oh, no. Physicians both in Canada and the U.S. observed symptoms of what looked like radiation poisoning in MICLAC, But when testing was completed, they came back negative.
0: Oh, I was right. It was mirroring it.
1: Yeah. All they could confirm was that the quarter-inch circular burn marks on his chest were all too real, and those scars remained on his chest for the rest of his life.
0: Is there photos?
1: Oh yeah, there's photos.
0: Oh my god, I have to post that too.
1: There was even uh, one guy who was talking about. I guess he was. He was one of. I think it was his physician. I think, um, but he was talking about. He's like, you know, if 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 you ask nicely, and he'll let you, you you can uh, touch. This was like 92, so he was pushing 80, and you could touch. His chest, and you can feel the like
0: that's like raised.
1: It well, it's like yeah, it's like solidified, oh! like like almost like a callus.
0: Oh my god! Yeah,
1: because that's that's what it would do, right? Like a burn would do that. Mm-hmm. So they were still there. Like they, this is not like something that he drew on. It's not no, you know no, no, rubbing no, 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 ash no. on his chest. It was these are fucking permanent marks. And in
0: '92, that's like 25 years later. Yeah. So holy oh my god fascinating and they're probably yeah. looking at this like we cannot debunk this i have no fucking idea what this was also you were in the middle of a butt fuck nowhere how mm-hmm. else could this have happened
1: yeah so for weeks mick, mick body emitted a strange sulfuric odor
0: oh no really gross he just had too much cabbage rolls
1: yeah yeah that's it <laughs> um but uh it's not it because he also couldn't eat solid foods and had lost as much as 13 pounds in just a few days.
0: I mean I'm jealous but.
1: <laughs> well it's. You're hearing <laughs> radiation poisoning. Um, all,
0: all while like. Was he still throwing up or did he just have diarrhea. At this point.
1: He was still throwing up. Oh my yeah. god. He got worse. Um, as the so days went weird. on. And then he, he got like. they, they were, He was finally like okay I guess. like I've stabilized. They never really like went into like. Um, a huge amount of detail in the articles I could find. There are books by the way though that maybe you know they they purport being the the um almost like behind the scenes <laughs> but you know like the the uh, the the untold aspects so maybe it's it's in that section and you know i think one of them's by his son you know um and all this kind of stuff he, he mclack does also write uh an account um So maybe it's cleared up in that, but uh, I wasn't able to find an answer because I thought that was odd too. I
0: don't really know if there is an answer because you're already conducting all the testing you would have had available in 1967 and the closest you could get to is that it appears to be radiation poisoning at all points to that, but at the end of the day, it's negative results. Yeah. And also that sulfuric
1: acid, odor. Odor. So all you can
0: really do is like just um like cater to him kind of to be mm-hmm. like how can we relieve some of your symptoms but yeah. at the end of the day you're like i can't fucking i don't even know yeah. what it is
1: yeah and i should also note like there's like levels of like radiation poisoning he did yeah. not have the like he's got like a week at best and he's gonna melt he's away he's not like, like he's just noble
0: ready yeah
1: he's just <laughs> he's feeling it you know he felt this
0: i mean it's c- cancer treatment you're you have radiation yeah and you have the nausea and sometimes the throwing up he's Mm -hmm. maybe a few steps ahead above that yeah but yeah i see what you're saying
1: yeah so um you know where it's gonna get out so um (laughs) after it being admitted into the hospital into the hospital um micklack describes his experience to the media for the first time in the winnipeg tribune and keep in mind too like he's been dismissed by the rcmp like yeah you know like they they did that uh, that constable really did not believe him and in his account like fucking left him on the side of the road so fuck the fuck fuck those guys right. um you know everyone thought he was weird at the motel so you know this is gonna be odd but he you know he's kind of got that personality he's like this, this has to be reported so um Like I said, he
0: wanted answers as well.
1: Yeah, like what the fuck? It just went through so much. What was that? And
0: if it was some sort of military aircraft or something and they fucking gave him something that's like radiation poisoning, they need to be held accountable is probably what he's thinking.
1: Oh my god. Okay, a little aside here. This is how adorable this man is. He said he doesn't, if it was like no, no matter who was piloting it, he does not blame them for what happened to him. He just said that let this story be a lesson that if you see something like this, you keep your distance for your own safety.
0: What a sweetheart.
1: I know. Um, So what followed after this interview was a massive UFO search involving the RCMP, the Canadian military and Air Force. I said that weird because I should have said Canadian Army and Air Force, but the Canadian military is there. (laughs) <laughs> uh, within just a few short days two international bodies also joined the efforts to take place at Falcon Lake um, these were the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization or APRO as I'm calling them um, which at the time had a large staff of consulting PhD scientists cool. and the head of the UFO project for the United States government
0: damn
1: yeah they, they were not fucking around so to this day, you can still meet residents of the area who recall, um, who recall this um, swarm of helicopters and grounds crew who converged around their quiet cottage getaway. Wow! Yeah, 1967 was noisy for them.
0: Oh, they never. They still talk about it. I bet.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's like but one I of
0: Grandma. Tell me the story of of Falcon Lake again. <laughs> like yeah, it's. <laughs>
1: It's like a, people say, like this is kind of like this is Canadian Canada's history Rod? now. Oh, like, but this I'm gonna is...
0: say Canada's Roswell.
1: No, <laughs> the other story I'm gonna tell you is Canada's Roswell. Oh, really? So I actually coined that. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: So, um, according to McLach's physician, McLach's condition prevented him from participating in the initial days of the search.
0: Well, no kidding. You're on bed rest, sir.
1: Yeah. You're and, literally
0: scorched.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're you're pu- what are you gonna do? Go up in a helicopter you're just puking? Um <laughs> Ow. But
0: my fucking hand just knocked over a drink.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um eventually, you know, you keep in mind, he's just bedridden, he's hurling and all that kind of stuff. Two members of the RCMP came knocking on Mick Lack's door, and I don't know if we mentioned it, but RCMP is the Royal Canadian Mounted, Mounted Police. Mounted. Mounted police. And um, they're just they're cops, okay? Yeah. We so, I
0: gave like in one of my episodes, I don't know, one of the earlier ones. Yeah. I think maybe our Forest City series. Mm-hmm. I gave a brief rundown.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So just for a quick reminder if you're just tuning in, that's those are police officers and they're, you know, uh, you know, just nationwide. Yeah. Um so they came knocking on McLach's door and convinced him to finally join the efforts. I guess he was feeling, you know, up to the task, which is good. So um, after an extensive expedition from the air and the ground, so they took him up in a helicopter and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good for him. That's so nice for him. <laughs> McLach um, found himself disgusted with himself. That's a quote. Oh. For being unable to find the exact location of the sighting.
0: No. Yeah.
1: So this this was really heartbreaking initially because um the RCMP again were really dismissive like yeah. really skeptical of him and skepticism's fine they're also But cynicism like is a, not.
0: Yeah, they probably also have a prejudice cuz he's obviously like Polish, he's obviously yeah. an immigrant, like yeah. you can hear it in his voice. So they mm-hmm. probably are assholes in general and immediately yeah. are like whatever.
1: Yeah, so you know, they start they start drudging up controversies about um drinking and all that kind of stuff and so one of the discrepancies like really the only discrepancy was um a recount about him drinking even if yeah it was not enough so um keep in mind right now he's got the burn marks i know he's experiencing blackouts constantly for days he's lost 13 pounds in a short period of days he's essentially convinced doctors enough that he had radiation poisoning and then baffled them by not having radiation poisoning but they verify this kind of shit's really happening to him and the RCMP is focused on a discrepancy where Micklach says he doesn't drink and didn't drink any beers um the day the day of or the day before and someone said no i saw him at the bar drinking a beer and you know he had like five
0: who the fuck cares? I can drink five beers and be fine. There
1: was like a total of five throughout the day, too. By the way, oh, it wasn't whatever. like yeah. So anyway, I'm gla- I'm just whoosh, I'm skating right over there. Yeah, because, it's
0: just just it's a part of the story. People say that's a discrepancy, but either yeah. way, who gives a fuck? He yeah, five beers.
1: Yeah, exactly. So like, and he, then and,
0: he, and maybe he didn't.
1: Yeah, and then so they, you know, I should also mention that they did actually go to his room to check if there was liquor there, and mm-hmm. they found nothing. There's no bottles or anything. There's no indication he was drinking hard stuff either. There was no beer bottles there either. The RCMP um,
0: just didn't want to investigate this because they didn't know how and they yeah. didn't care.
1: Yeah. So they're, they're doing all this and they're being really dismissive. So then um, a guy from the UFO project from the US government, mm-hmm. the head of it actually, starts talking to Miklach. And actually the guy is amazed by how detailed this guy is. Right. He's amazed by how Miklach can recount all these things going on.
0: Even with his blackouts.
1: Yeah. And he's shocked by the sketchings that he's done the diagrams but when they finally head out into the bush he starts having doubts because mm. this is how McClack tries to find his way
0: no he's following the vein of he's course he's following
1: the vein of course which looked to everyone like he was meandering around oh no looking at the dirt and they all just went uh shit
0: Oh, no. Yeah.
1: So they all got really skeptical. Um, and uh, they actually stopped for a little bit uh, searching. They kind of just went like, can't find it. We can't find this rock you're talking about. And it, also, this rock is not normal in this region. So like, it's, we would see it, right? We would see it in the aerial fo- like, uh, flybys. What
0: I'm like, if they're in a helicopter, it's a plateau with a peninsula. How can you not find that?
1: exactly yeah so they're looking for this this site they're like where the fuck is it and they can't find it so um
0: and he said he went north yeah so maybe he didn't though maybe he's saying oh I, th- I went north well, but maybe he,
1: he here's the thing
0: he wandered off
1: he did go north and uh he did find it
0: oh he did on eventually. his own with
1: his buddy oh, him and okay. his buddy so not this like not a platoon of- marked the trail <laughs> yeah so not a platoon of, like, RCMP or mm-hmm. or Canadian military or, uh, you know, the head of the uh, UFO project right. of the U.S. government down his back while he's doing this. Um, my my guess is he was probably really I, spooked by I that. I
0: was going to say it could be thrown off. Because mm-hmm. even something you do regularly, if you have eyes on you, you could kind of just be like a deer in the headlights.
1: Yeah, so, exactly. Like, it's fucking nerve-wracking. Like, they're all just and he's still waiting. ill. Yeah, and he's still <laughs> ill. So it took six weeks since the incident before Mechlec was able to find the location. And also, I just want to point out, like, because I know a lot of people are going, like, "Well, he found it on his own. How convenient!" It's a fucking huge, weird it's rock, not it, mapped.
0: There's no, and he trails. sketched it
1: before, and they showed the sketching to everyone before, yeah, and then. So he finally found it. And this is the location. There's really no argument about it. Right. Um, and not even the skeptics are really arguing this. Um, they obvious. all accept it because he sketched it beforehand. And it's that detailed.
0: He's so lucky he did that.
1: Yeah. And um, so he had set out with a friend to retrace his steps in white shell. The rock had uh, been swept clean. Clean except for a large burned out circle of more than 15 feet. So there's your answer to the width of this thing Mm -hmm. um on the outskirts of the rock they also found burned branches and trees with broken scorched limbs as though they had collided with a large burning object Wow! within days the experts from both the us and canada converged on the site taking measurements soil samples and archiving their findings and at the site they retrieved uh stefan or they received Mick Lack's, um <laughs> glove and shirt, um, and some tools, which uh, were subject to extensive analysis at an RCMP crime lab. No one could determine what caused the burns. Um, I don't know so, how
0: this man still had skin left.
1: Yeah, and um, another thing as well, um, kind of, a, kind of, just really confusing the shit out of this whole thing alarmingly when they first got on the scene, they discovered high levels of radiation and the site was almost considered to be quarantined to contain the area. However, this was found to be due to a vein of radium which ran under the ground of the entire region. Um, So like they just freaked out for a minute and mm-hmm. then they were like, oh no, it's radium under the ground, it's rocks. It's Yeah. Okay, we yeah. know what it is. So but <laughs> so that
0: would Ooh. throw a wrench in it because you're like, dude, when... A- physically went underwent testing and was negative that's that's why it's so weird so you'd be like what the
1: fuck yeah so people would be like false positive but like no not a false positive he or or false negative not a false negative yeah um this man did not have radiation poisoning um so uh mclack would come to also just mention this mclack would come to deeply regret speaking to the press about his encounter um despite his agnostic agnosticism towards alien encounters and believing what they had um, he like, and still believing what he had seen was an experimental military aircraft. Right. He and his family experienced intense public ridicule. He was framed as a UFO nut job, and the son experienced horrible bullying at school.
0: No! He
1: didn't want fame. He didn't have an agenda. All he wanted was answers to what he had seen that day. Exactly. And what had left the permanent scars along his body. So, in other words, like, you know, um, if you were walking down the street and you got hit by a car, wouldn't you eventually want to find who fucking did that to of you? Of
0: course, especially if you are permanently, um, like, changed or disfigured in some way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Of course, you would just, and like he's saying, like, I don't hold you accountable. I don't care, okay? I just want to know what happened to me. Yeah. And he isn't out there. Writing books and making movie deals and all of that. He's like, I just want to know what happened. Yeah. So, bullying my kid.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> like, honestly. So, yeah, and um, kids are mean. I know. They're for sure <sighs> just ripping into him. That's just such a, you know, it's a free shot, really. It's um, so
0: easy. Yeah. It's sad.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, he's also like, not. You know, he's also a new immigrant. I was gonna so it's say, super it's easy to just rip into a little
0: Polish him. kid.
1: Yeah, back then. So, um, one year after McLack's encounter with the un- unidentified craft, he and a friend returned to the scene armed with a Geiger counter, mm. determined to uncover some more clues to determine what he had seen. Um, this time, he found cracks along the ground. And uh, his device, just like the experts a year ago, began to give off readings of high levels of radiation. Interesting. The difference, Miklach's device was discovering large concentrations in small plots on the ground along the cracks.
3: Whoa.
1: Uh, little sections, not the whole cracks, but little little sections. So he began digging into the crack in the earth and ultimately uncovered three identical bars of what looked like molten metal. The material was, in fact, made of a very pure kind of silver that's difficult to acquire, and it was coated with something called uranite, which contains both uranium and radium. Uh, But yet, these bars were not natural looking rocks, they were rather manufactured pieces from something so imagine oh God, you were like were coming to retrieve it. well like it it almost looks like um imagine you're like on a farm and like you kick up a piece of like rusted metal and it'd be like a door hinge or something like that right. like that's what it kind of looked like um like a scrap metal
0: yeah it obviously looks like something that's already man-made into something yeah, somehow back in the ground.
1: It, it does not look like a rock, is what I really want to get clear. Like it's not like he just chiseled out fucking
0: some jagged rock. It's yeah, just, it's a like clean.
1: Yes. Um. So, m- I should also mention, uh, that part, that piece of material, the three bars that he uncovered, that is actually subject to a lot of the skepticism.
3: Wow. Okay.
1: Because it was a year later. And the investigators from a year back had also gone over Geiger counters, the U.S. military, the Canadian military, all these experts from all these different organizations, and they didn't find this. Hmm. So one of the theories about why this might have come to be um, may have been that someone really, really wanted people to believe this story and plant that there within the year's gap. Yeah. Yeah. So I should mention that.
0: Yeah, but yeah, I understand that and it was all it was obviously in the Winnipeg Tribune. It was reported at this point probably internationally mm-hmm. catching on. And it's Falcon Lake, everyone would know it's Falcon Lake. Yeah. And they probably received so many new tourists and stuff so anyone could have gone out there. For
1: for sure. This is a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. And so um You know, on the episode of um, Unsolved Mysteries, which was like just one of my it was I was actually like one of my lesser sources because I because I just went over that after I did a bunch of research just Mm. to make sure I didn't like miss any fun details or. Yeah. Plus,
0: usually on Unsolved Mysteries, you get the person's story, like them themselves telling it. So it's nice to have.
1: Yeah, it was it was great. And it it was just it was like the only reason it was just I already started on some other articles that were like giving me like a bunch of like other angles but um otherwise like God damn it God bless unsolved mysteries they do such a good job and they did a great job in this too mm-hmm. but um one of the things that they uh, mentioned was the, one of the skeptics uh well not skeptics one of the one of the people they were talking to essentially said like you know what like I really do believe this was just planted I really do it's just how did how did you miss that yeah. like how did how did all these people how miss big that was it and uh it, well it was about uh a little larger than my hand. So oh. maybe a f- like a little less than a foot long. Yeah. Yeah. So um you know the, this guy really was like guys I'm telling you I'm I'm fairly confident this was planted. And then he goes but I am also more confident than McLag had no idea that happened. No. That's um, what I'm
0: thinking too. I yeah. I also believe it could have been planted but i don't think it has anything to do with the only thing
1: that makes me go okay well hold on a minute is this is hard to acquire materials yeah like that it's such a pure level of silver that it's apparently incredibly hard to get um so anyway
0: Uh, the aliens could have visited again yeah could have stopped by yeah
1: so um you know that's the whole thing And uh, Miklach would not find the closure he so earnestly sought. No, Um, that
0: deserves answers. Yeah.
1: In an undated letter from the Department of National Defense, the DND summarized their efforts with one definitive line. Both the DND and RCMP investigation teams were unable to provide evidence which would dispute Miklach's story. Oh. But in other words, we have no fucking idea. Yeah, Um, we
0: can't. Prove or disprove, and now you're left in limbo. Goodbye. Yeah.
1: So, uh, Miklach died peacefully on October 28th, 1999. And while the Canadian government still considers Falcon Lake incident to be unsolved, it has become ingrained in the history of the region. So much so that the Royal Canadian Mint commemorated the 50th anniversary of the mysterious encounter with Mm -hmm. a glow-in-the-dark $20 coin. And they're fucking sick.
0: That is what you showed me. That is what they I were showed very you. Very cool. And they it, don't look like coins, though.
1: No, they look like bars.
0: They're so cool. They're, they're silver
1: bars. They're
3: beautiful.
1: Which you know what? They're silver bars, and that's very clever, Canada. Oh my god! Well done. Yeah. Oh my Good god. Good for you. Uh, um. So it depicts a scene: a McClack falling to the ground, blown back from the exhaust of a spacecraft ascending in the sky. And only four thousand copies of the coin exist. Oh. And when you hold a light or well, sorry, when you take the light off and you just have it in a dark room, the craft lights up underneath it, almost like uh, you know, it's taking off into the sky. And it's really cool. It's a green glow to it. They're beautiful. They are. They're actually gorgeous. They're also a hundred and something dollars, so woof.
3: That's <laughs> dull.
1: Yeah, they're collectibles for sure. So four thousand copies. So um, if there is a, one of those nice moments, you can kind of take away from it is like he's part of uh, here. Here's this nice old man. He's gone through a bunch of shit, but now he's part of Canadian folklore. Yeah, he is. Yeah, very cool.
0: I'm happy he passed peacefully.
1: Mm-hmm. Me too.
0: It wasn't like some horrible ailment he suffered from as a result of his 1967 experience.
1: Yeah. <gasps> so there is another coin too. Oh right yeah there's another coin also part of the glow in the dark chain and uh i guess you know the Ro- the royal canadian mint was on one uh, oh. so they wanted to make another one uh probably because they felt that there is another story that is on the same level and we just can't pick
0: oh okay
1: so i'm gonna tell you that one music three On October 4th, 1967, the same year as the Falcon Lake incident, the 400 residents in a small fishing village off the coast of Nova Scotia were about to experience something that would put their home on the map. At approximately 7.15pm that evening, Air Canada commercial flight 305 en route from Halifax to Toronto spotted something off the left side of the plane. Flying 12,000 feet above Sherbrooke and St. Jean's, Quebec, First Officer Robert Ralph pointed out to Captain Pierre Charbonneau a brilliantly lit, rectangular object with a string of smaller reddish-yellow lights trailing behind. The object flew parallel with the plane just a few miles away. Suddenly, both pilots noted a silent explosion from the large object. Two minutes later, a second explosion occurs and a faded blue cloud forms around the object. However, as close as pilots Ralph and Charbonneau got, another flight that night claims to have gotten a much closer look. On the night of October 4th, the pilot of Pan Am 160, a cargo flight bound from New York to London recalls a clear and moonless night. According to traffic control, they were on a lone path with no other aircraft uh, in the sky. At the same time, Captain Ralph Loewinger God help me for that name (laughs) and his co-pilot, Captain Kirk Oslin saw something ahead and lunged for the yokes to prepare for an immediate evasion.
3: Oh
0: my god! Yeah,
1: it was a holy fuck moment.
0: Yeah, it was mm-hmm. like I have to act an hour. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> All right. So this is a quote. I just happened to be looking in the right direction, and I saw this formation of blue white lights slanted from upper left to lower right, and I said, "Oh, watch this guy." <laughs> that was Lowinger.
0: <laughs> he said, "What the hell that?"
1: What the hell is that? <laughs> and the other two in the cockpit looked. I remember the captain's hands and my hands both went for the control yoke because we figured we were going to have to dodge this guy. He's going right at it. I
0: thought they just. Hel- I thought they just held hands.
1: <laughs> they 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 both meet at the yoke. <laughs> <Do>
0: you- <laughs> the yoke is the
1: uh, uh, steering wheel, guys. I guess
0: a steering wheel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like a shift. Or is it actually a steering wheel?
1: Uh, It looks like a, a tuning fork. It looks like a Y. And you right. hold on to the two sides. Right. Yeah. So, um, a series of five bright lights lay directly in their flight path. Their immediate thought is another commercial jet, but a quick call into Boston confirmed that that's not the case. Here's uh the quote again. It looked like a big airplane at the time, like a B-52 or a 707 with all of its lights on. There were about five lights, I remember, and he was in a position relative to us of a guy making a left-hand turn, and that would have him crossing our bow. Mm -hmm. So we were waiting, and these lights just hung there. They did not cross our bow. And I remember the three of us were looking at it, and we said, what is this? And we couldn't discern what it was. I called Boston and asked if they still had us on the radar. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, who's this at 11 o'clock? He watched the sweep on the radar scope. And he says, I don't have anyone out there. And I said, well, I'm looking at somebody. Yeah. End quote.
0: Oh my God. And it's staying in the same spot.
1: Yeah, it's staying in the same spot. Because
0: it never crossed, so it's just sitting there hovering. Uh, yeah, so uh, they were
1: actually flying at it. Uh, yeah. Ew. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, I'm scared. So it didn't show up on radar, but... I don't like that. It did eventually show up on radar. Oh, no. Um... Perhaps it's because the low angle of the reflection off the water, who knows, you know, Mm. there's different types of radar, maybe, I don't know. Sometimes it has to be
0: reflective Um, or
2: whatever.
1: Yeah, who's to say, really? But either way, Captain Leo Howard Mercy found himself standing at the wheelhouse of his fishing vessel, tracking four strange dots appearing Mm. on his radar. As he looks up, he sees the lights taking on a rectangular formation in the sky, about seventeen kilometers away, which is uncomfortably close.
0: Well, yeah.
1: Yeah. So he and his crew—he's
0: in the water. He's in a boat.
1: Yeah, he's in his fishing vessel. Okay. So he and his crew and it's large—he and his crew of um nearly twenty
0: fishermen—Jesus—walk
1: out onto the deck and just watch. This they all fucking, see it. Yeah, they all see it. This is not like this is not like one lone guy seeing it. Like all the people in the cockpit saw that. All the people in the other cockpit saw yeah. that. And now nearly 20 fishermen see this. This
0: reminds me of the Unsolved Mysteries episode we watched of the Michigan lights in Muskegon.
1: Oh, it's very similar now that you say it, yeah.
0: Seeing it on radar, having people from all over the place who have no connection to one another, seeing the same thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's unnerving. Yeah. Um. So by 10 p.m., so we're jumping a little ahead in time now. Local radio stations and newsrooms in Halifax begin to receive calls about strange glowing orbs in the sky. Same thing? Same thing. Um, yeah. So, roughly an hour later, hour and a half later, so around, I think it was actually 1120, um, the RCMP receives a report that something large, possibly a commercial plane, had just crashed into the waters <clears throat> at Shag Harbor.
0: Oh my god.
1: Multiple witnesses recall hearing a whistling sound like a bomb falling, followed by a whooshing sound, and then a very loud bang.
0: Did anyone see the impact?
1: Uh, Yes. Uh, The initial guy that that was doing this, uh, that called the RCMP. Um, So rescue crews scrambled to the scene, and the RCMP officers, um, there was two of them, were on the site by 15 minutes so real mm. fucking quick yeah um because you know they thought that this was a commercial plane that just downed yep. and that's uh, a catastrophic event so they along with several several witnesses along the harbor including laurie wickens and four of his friends um who they were the ones who placed the first call in okay observed the flashing lights of a craft still floating in the water.
0: Oh my god.
1: Red light just floating in the water. So, they're watching this sinking craft, which is now beginning to be swept out outside of the harbor and into the Atlantic Ocean. And the RCMP are worried about rescuing survivors.
3: Yeah, Okay. So
1: they're like, well fuck, okay, all I see is this light because it's really dark. Right? So they're still thinking plane and they place a <clears throat> they place a call into RCC, which is the Rescue Coordination Center, um, to update them on the situation and ask if any planes were missing. RCC confirmed that all the air traffic was accounted for. Oh, so that's unnerving. Yes, it is. So imagine just sitting there, you're watching this big thing in the water. It's and there, people were thinking it was a a like, commercial plane. Like, they were thinking, like, Air Canada-sized plane. Um, So, the uh, Coast Guard eventually reached the scene, and they found no trace of the craft or any evidence of wreckage. No. All they found was a strange yellow foam floating on the surface, seemingly to suggest that something had slipped beneath the waves. Ew.
0: Yeah. Yellow foam.
1: Yeah. So, like, yeah. (laughs) It's really not much else to put to that. Just upsetting.
0: It's gross. gross.
1: Yeah. So, the Canadian government, including the Coast Guard, Royal Canadian Air Force, and the Royal Canadian Navy, conducted an extensive search of the area, checking for signs of anything in the ocean or resting on the floor around Shake Harbor, around Maine. Um, They're bringing out their. Navy divers to go check the surf, uh, the the floor. They're they're really looking, and they were unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. The RCC um, ultimately filed a report that ruled out any conventional explanation for the craft or for the crash, including flares or an aircraft. That was not the case here. After the third and final day of the Canadian Navy's search, the results were quote. Not a trace, not a clue, not a bit of anything, Uh. end quote. So cold comfort for those approximate 70 witnesses who saw the mysterious lights pierce the water of their quiet fishing town.
0: Right. Was there American witnesses? Because I'm looking at it on a map and it's like literally the southern tip of Nova Scotia. Yeah. It's as far south in Nova Scotia as you could be. So Maine, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, it's all right there.
1: Yeah, I didn't find any accounts from uh, Americans, but interesting. Yeah, I think... maybe it, maybe it would have just been called in, um, but because it's like <laughs> it's the U.S., they just brought it over to their department, and they were like, "Yeah, we investigated in the U.S. We didn't see anything." And you know.
0: also, directly south of Shy Harbor is Bermuda. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. So, <clears throat> I mentioned that these have a coin as well, and this coin is also fucking sick. Yeah. Because it is a picture of uh, people looking off into the harbor as a gigantic fucking sideways ship is just like a saucer, like think mothership-sized with mm-hmm. lights on it, is crashing into the water. And the lights of that ship... Are glow in the dark.
3: Mm-hmm,
0: that's it's so really cool. cool. Yeah, I was gonna say with the pilots on that second or er, first flight that reported it, Charbonneau and Ralph. Yeah, they said rectangular, like mm-hmm. like a cigarette or a cigar.
1: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and they were also talking about a yellow reddish glow. Yeah. Now they also did say like it, the <clears throat> cargo ship said blue. But um, that could
0: have been the explosion.
1: After, yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: I just think it's so insane that this thing crashes into the harbor and there's no trace other than yellow foam.
1: It's just gone. Now the other thing that too is the harbor and deep
0: to get swept out to the ocean. Oh yeah, it's really deep. Yeah, this is the Atlantic ocean, ocean right there.
1: Yeah, so like that can just be gone, and it's really hard to find shit in the ocean. Oh well, yeah. Um. So, <laughs> but. This was um, on Barrington's website, which is, like, the region. And I didn't include this part. I'm going to say it's not part of the story um, until I find something else, like some other reports about this. And I know that, you know, the region, whatever, they want tourism, so they, it seemed like they embellished. But that they said that uh, submarines and everything started tracking the craft as it was submerged under the waves and coasted in, like, swimming essentially underwater into the atlantic and then this the military lost track of it underwater and guys i so if you hear that part of the story just know it came from one thing and that's the town's website or the region's website and i could not find anything that actually Mm-hmm. you know corroborated that
0: it's fun it's cool but yeah i don't I yeah like the government would come would be, out and tell a
1: township that. oh yeah by the way
0: <laughs> our submarines tracked it until it swam into the fucking ocean ether
1: yeah exactly
0: <laughs> i saw when i was looking at the map just because i wanted to know where shag harbor was and in, mm-hmm. in uh, relation to the um halifax explosion episode we did mm-hmm. they're not that close but then i was just looking at the map and i saw that the like welcome to Shag Harbor, whatever sign mm-hmm. is like a, a UFO, a yep. big UFO that's like the where the UFO sighting happened in 1967. So yeah, yep. they obviously are. Yep. Amb- um ampling ampling yeah that's a word,
1: <laughs> amping this up
0: <laughs> yeah which yep. is fine I would too mm-hmm. but. It's already a fascinating story with multiple witnesses. You don't have to add those little flares. yeah.
1: you're already you already have the event of uh being deemed Canada's Roswell. Why so. is
0: that one Canada's Roswell?
1: I because it crashed.
0: Oh, right. Yeah. okay.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: but with Roswell, there was like that weird material that they found. This one has nothing but yellow foam.
1: Yeah, we just got foam.
0: Ew! What's the foam? Did they test the foam?
1: No, it was just gone after a while. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Say the only thing it really indicated to them was that something had submerged, because like if a plane crashes, you debris pops out, right? I know. And like oil or gas or something pops up, so they they saw yellow foam and they went, "Weird substance could be fucking anything," because they think it's a plane still, right? So the rescue crew crew is just trained to be like. Yeah, you're going to see like weird fluid. Could be anything. Could be like windshield shield, wiper fluid, whatever. <laughs> Defrosting, who knows? So they were concerned trying to find this fucking thing because they thought people were drowning.
0: Imagine it has nothing to do with the sighting in the sky but happened to be at the same time. Like what if it was like a meteor, a meteorite? Oh, but, it,
1: but it was floating in the water. It
0: did float, you're right. Yeah, with lights. Well, yeah
1: you're right yeah (laughs) so um (laughs) the other thing i learned is that um canada is quite a fucking hot spot Mm -hmm. for ufos and uh what do you think on average the amount of ufo sightings a day
0: a day a day in canada like nationwide average number Mm -hmm. 50
1: no it's three but oh you know there's three a day, so this starts racking up after a while.
0: Fifty is a lot.
1: Fifty is a fuck fifty a is a concerning level. Yeah.
0: Okay, you're right. Three yeah. is a day, per day. Yeah. Someone who's like, uh, what the hell's that? Yeah. How many UFO sightings do you have personally?
1: I think two. We saw one at the I'll cottage be- and we saw one on our, on your uh, both balcony. are with me. Yeah, both are with you. <laughs> or <laughs> we're just like, what the flying fuck is that? Yeah. <clears throat> and then, well, how about you? How many do you have?
0: Uh, <clears throat> the two with you, and then I have a cool one from high school. Mm-hmm. And multiple with Paige that we've seen uh, from my balcony. Right weird shit we see on my balcony all the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, So like, I don't even know in total, like probably like seven or eight. Fuck. Yeah.
3: Yeah. The one That's... in
0: high school was, was really weird though. Can I tell it?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I gotta get comfortable. My lower back's killing me guys. <laughs> I need Lumbar support. Uh, So in high school, I was with my, my high school boyfriend and his friends and his brother and stuff. And the, they live in like a small town and there is this huge, like in the middle of the town, there's like a big, just like wooded area. Mm-hmm. And it, we would go in there on holidays, like May 2, 4 or Canada day to light off fireworks. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's like nighttime and we trekked out there to go and light off fireworks and in the got to orient myself south in the south sky like above the horizon but but not low on the horizon like pretty high up it couldn't have been a like radio tower or something also this is like a small town and it's like Mm country-ish there wasn't a radio tower anywhere over there but we are in the in a wooded area on top of this hill. So there's like a big panoramic view of tons of shit around you. And in the South, there was this red light, like this reddish orange light. And, um, my boyfriend at the time's brother pointed it out first Mm -hmm. and it was like slowly moving up into the sky and then it would slowly come down and then it kind of started to move sideways, like go towards the West and then mm-hmm. come back to where it had been. And we were watching it for a bit. And then it just disappeared.
1: It's so fucking weird. Like, out of
0: nowhere, disappeared. And we were like... Vanished. Yeah, it did. Vanished. We are like, that was really fucking cool. Like, what was that? And I got a picture of it. Mm-hmm. But it just looks like this tiny little glowing dot. Yeah, because so, it's like, like
1: trying to take a picture of the moon.
0: Yeah. So it's like, doesn't do it justice at all. So mm-hmm. then we were like, that was really cool. Like, we fucking just saw a UFO or something, that was wild. Mm-hmm. And then we were going about our business, like out there, like smoking, drinking, whatever. Maybe like 15, 20 minutes later, I look to the north because this happened to the south. And in the north, the exact same thing was happening, doing the same thing, coming up from the horizon, coming back down a bit, kind of dancing from left to right. Mm-hmm. And it did it for a little bit longer than what we saw in the south, but then again, vanished. Wow. It was so weird. But it was really weird. It was very cool. Yeah. So that was like the one that um, was definitely like the weirdest because the first one in the South, you're like, I don't know, could be anything. It is weird how like much it was kind of like playing and dancing, like maneuvering around, Mm -hmm. having like not like a set trajectory, like going back and forth and stuff. Yeah. But then when it disappeared, it's like, meh, like, I don't know could have been anything but then in the total opposite side in the north to see the same thing happening Mm -hmm. um a little bit farther away than what we would have seen in the south but yeah it was really wild
1: It's fucking weird
0: and I've, i've seen a lot of weird shit in the sky and then steph was telling me about how up north her and lando watched something similar uh one one uh night when they were when they would only go up north to do like seasonal stuff so they were staying in their cabins and it was also an orangish red light and they watched it for like 20 minutes the same thing this doing this weird dancing of going kind of up and then down and going left to right weird and uh we hadn't even like she would have seen that a couple years ago i would have seen it like fucking 12 years ago like i was in high Mm -hmm. school yeah so but yeah same story
1: still fucking happening
0: yeah Right? And it up north, like twenty-four hours away. Yeah. But the same thing.
1: Jesus So
0: Christ. interesting. They're everywhere. They are everywhere. <laughs> this is my podcast. I'm taking over with my UFO stories.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my UFO story. So I hope you liked it.
0: I really liked it. I love to hear shit like that. I love spooky anything, especially alien encounters. Mm-hmm. I'm happy you're back with us and I hope that thing comes out of your butt. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> they said I could take it out anytime.
0: any <laughs> time. Oh, they did, eh? I thought you brought that one from home.
1: I did. That's <laughs> what they said. First thing I got on the <laughs> ship. You take that out anytime.
0: <laughs> Sorry, I thought I I thought I saw like a light or something out on the balcony. I don't know. That was really weird. Really? Yeah. It's like a flash or something.
1: Oh. Ah.
0: Oh, um, okay, Dyson. You did such a good job.
1: Thank, Thank you, you
0: for coming back to do your episode, your 20th episode. Did you see that?
1: Hey. J- yeah.
0: The light is back.
1: Oh, uh oh.
2: Oh,
0: my